0: Welcome back, everyone. We have so much to get into in this episode. First of all, I added a new company to my portfolio, Church & Dwight, the maker of Arm & Hammer, one of the most boring companies in existence. And I added this one to the portfolio. I only have a couple hundred dollars invested in it, and I'm gonna be building it up to a bigger holding all throughout this year and next year. So in this episode, I'll be explaining why Church & Dwight is now in the portfolio. Now, in addition to that, we had a lot of my holdings report earnings. Apple's one of them. Apple's a big holding of mine. I currently have $54,000 of value, $19,000 in gains in this company. They reported earnings yesterday, and I'm gonna go over it with you. In the real estate category, we had Vici report earnings yesterday. Vici's another big holding of mine. In fact, Vici's the second biggest position in my portfolio with $42,600 in value, 10,800 in gains. And they reported their earnings yesterday and talked about a transformational quarter. And I want to go through and summarize their report, as well as go over the single most important metric to look for when investing in REITs. Now, another company in my portfolio that reported earnings yesterday is Texas Roadhouse, one of my favorite picks. This is a sleeper pick. Not many people talk about Texas Roadhouse as an investment, but I have $27,000 of value in this company. It's currently up $1,800. They reported earnings yesterday, and they beat both in their revenue and in their earnings. But more importantly than that, I wanna go over some exceptional things this company is doing. So we have their earnings report as well. The last earnings report we have in my portfolio is in the financial category. T. Rowe Price, the money manager, also reported earnings yesterday. Now, it wasn't good. This was not good earnings from T. Rowe Price, But the stock went up anyway, because the company is at such a low valuation, so much pessimism built into the stock that they reported poor earnings and the price went up anyway. All right, so obviously we have a lot to get to in this episode. Let's go ahead and jump right in. For those of you new, this is the passive income portfolio. It's really $358,000 in value, $41,300 in gains, and $15,000 of that is from dividends, because I invest in high quality dividend paying companies that I consider to be compounders companies that will compound wealth for long periods of time. Now, I show the results of this portfolio every single week, week by week live, meaning that I show both the successes and the failures, both the companies that do well and the ones that do poorly. I don't hide anything with this portfolio. Now, we do have a Patreon community. If you wanna join the Patreon community, you get access to a lot of different benefits, including Qualtrum Insights, which is this app here that you can you can type in I can spell it right, you can type in any ticker here and it brings up a lot of information about those companies. So I'll be referencing this website throughout the show. This is a tool developed for Patreon members. Now, before we jump into the many companies that have reported earnings in my portfolio, I wanna start off with the new company. It's a consumer staple called Church & White. They're the makers of Arm & Hammer. I've been talking about this company recently and I decided to add it to the portfolio. I've been dollar cost averaging in this company ever so slowly, adding maybe 100 or $200 per week. So right now, I only have $700 invested. It is a fraction of a percentage, so it's not a big position, but I plan on growing this holding over time to be a more meaningful position in the portfolio. Now, you might be asking, Joseph, why did you choose Church & Dwight over so many different companies in the stock market? Let me throw this image back up on the screen. I showed this in the previous episode. I call it the compounder checklist. These are companies that are compounders, meaning... They continually grow through almost any environment. And it has six different steps on this list. Six different steps. The first one is strong franchise durability. They have diversified brands and the brand recognition and pricing power. So the company has a good brand and they have pricing power. Church and Dwight has 14 brands they call power brands. And these are ones that they have. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Significant pricing power with. They continue to raise prices all throughout this tough time this year to try to make it so that their earnings don't go down against their tough comparables last year. So I think that they check off the first box. The second thing is high free cash flow. Typically I'm looking for companies that generate significant, consistent free cash flow. And if I can get it for a free cash flow yield of four to six percent, that's ideal. Well, if we type Church and Dwight into Qualtra and we bring up the company here, we can look at the free cash flow of the company. And this is of course significant and consistent free cash flow growth. It has very minor variation in cash flows. That's something that we like to see. And even this year with margins being compressed and there's so much inflation and all these problems going on, their free cash flow is gonna be just fine. It'll be very similar to what it was last year. And in terms of valuation, the company's selling for a 4.61 free cash flow yield. And then number three, we want companies that have minimal financial leverage. Typically what I look for, a quick accounting rule, is to have the net debt of the company be less than three times EBITDA. Church and Dwight has net debt of 1.46 billion and last year's EBITDA was 1.3 billion. So they could easily pay off their debt if they were inclined. This company has no liquidity issues. They're not overextending themselves with debt. Number four, we want companies that are non-cyclical, preferably over highly cyclical companies. This means that their earnings have a low variance. They don't sway up and down that much and they grow typically all the time, including earnings and recessions and inflations. That's preferably what we're looking for, companies that have low variance in earnings and earnings growth all the time. To give an example of a company that has high variance in earnings and is highly cyclical, we can look at AMD. This company's earnings go down, up, down, up, down, up, down, and then up again. This is highly variant earnings. This is earnings that are unpredictable, in my opinion. And I don't know if the earnings are gonna continue going up or if they're gonna continue going down. I really have no clue when we have this type of history. Now, there's almost no company in the market that will perfectly consistently grow its earnings, but you're looking for as consistent as possible. And you see the difference in picture here between an AMD and a Church & Dwight. One of them is a compounder that just grows its earnings every single year. The other one is a more cyclical company that will have explosive earnings one year and do really well, but it may not do well in three years or four years. So I view Church and Dwight as a non-cyclical. The next thing is number five, we want them to have recurring revenue. The products and services are essential. They have repeat business and they can't be substituted. The counterexample of this is a car. People buy new vehicles during good times, but during recessions, they tend to extend the lifetime of their vehicles. They're more into maintenance and repairs and just keeping the car going and going so they don't have to upgrade to a new one. What we're looking for are products that they can't do that with. Products that are used, consumed, expire, and they're essential so they have a recurring revenue even during difficult times. Like we looked at with all the different brands that Church and Dwight owns, these are products that you really can't go without. There's lots of things that are entirely necessary, whether it's their fabric brands, their personal care brands, or many of the brands that they sell to different people like veterinarians and those type of things. So they have reoccurring revenue, even during difficult times. And then number six, we want a company that returns capital. They pay a growing dividend or they do buybacks. Preferably they do both. This is something very easy to tell on Qualtrim. We can look at the dividend history right here. This dividend is growing. You can easily see that trend. We can look at the shares outstanding. The shares outstanding are generally going down as well. They did go up a little bit recently. but That's only because they were buying additional brands. They were increasing the size and scale of their portfolio. They did that with a little bit of dilution, but they're still doing buybacks. So you will see The amount of shares outstanding go down over time. So those are the reasons I'm adding the company to the portfolio. On top of that, I like the management and the performance of this company has been incredible. It's beat the QQQ and the S&P 500 for over the past 20 years. So this is one that I'm happy to have in the portfolio. I'm in no rush to buy it right now. I'm just adding a couple hundred dollars every week and eventually it will grow into a bigger holding. Now let's go ahead and talk about the companies that are already big positions in this portfolio very important positions. Now, before we get into all the earnings reports and we look at Apple's and other companies, I have to give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this video, which is FTX US. Like you can see, I've been talking about this brokerage for a while. It's been in beta and I've been saying that they're going to come out with it publicly. Well, they just did a day ago. So you should have access to their actual stock brokerage now. And as you can see, it has this nice interface I've been buying Amazon during this dip. It's up around 12% today. So I'm actually up $458 on my Amazon position. And I, I plan on adding to this in the future. Now you can buy and sell using fractional shares. They don't do payment for order flow. This brokerage is also part of FINRA and SIPC insured, and they have a lot of plans going forward with it. So sign up now using one of the links in the pin comment below. There's one for desktop and mobile. And make sure to use the code Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-O-N, my last name, that gives you $10 when you do your first $100 trade. One of them, of course, is Apple. This is the biggest company in my portfolio with $54,000, $19,000 in gains. I'm not gonna spend too much time on Apple. We know the story here. They beat on both their revenue and their earnings. The only real weakness in the report was the Mac revenue was under what it was supposed to be under the analyst expectations. Service revenue was just shy of expectations, basically in line. But they beat on their iPhones, they beat their earnings per share, they beat their revenue estimates. And one thing I wanna mention, one thing I just wanna point out real quick with Apple is the amount of subscriptions, the amount of people subscribe to their various services. A lot of people view Apple as a hardware company. Just like any other hardware company, they just sell devices and they sell hardware to people. They are a subscription company. Apple has 860 million subscribers, 860 million subscriptions sold. Now, I think that they count multiple subscriptions from the same people if they have multiple subscriptions, so there could be some overlap there. That is significant. And this goes up like clockwork every single quarter. 860 million subscriptions. Think about that for a minute when you consider Apple as an investment. This is a massive recurring revenue stream that this company will have for a very long period of time. The next big company in my portfolio that reported earnings is Vici, the Real Estate Investment Trust that has a lot of the Vegas properties and experiential properties, they have golfing real estate, they're going into anything where you have to get out of the house to experience the real estate. Now, This is a big position in my portfolio just under Apple at $42,000 with 10,900 of it being gains. This is also one of the best performing stocks in the entire stock market right now. One of the best performing ones year to date. In fact, Vici's in the green by 14.39% year to date while the S&P 500 is down 15%. So this has outperformed the S&P 500 by roughly 30%, not factoring in dividends, which Vici pays a dividend around three times the size of the S&P 500. So if you include dividends reinvested, this is more in line of a 17% performance rather than a 14%. The performance of Vici has been incredibly good this year. And it makes sense. This company was undervalued. It's now gone up to fair value, in my opinion. And this last quarter has been transformational. That's what they said on the earnings call and I agree. Ed Petoniak, the CEO of the company, says during this, quote, transformational quarter, Vici closed on its acquisition of MGM Growth Properties. That was a massive acquisition that diversified the company. They received investment grade rating from SP and and Fitch, and they were added to the S&P 500. So those are three huge catalysts that caused this company to be worth more money. Getting that deal closed made it worth more money. Getting investment grade lowers its cost of capital, makes the company more valuable. And getting in the S&P 500 is also, of course, objectively a good thing to have happen. When you look over the earnings report of REITs, it's good to look at what the company's doing. If you see it going in the right direction, you see the acquisitions and the property they're buying. But out of everything you can look for, there's one key metric, one thing that's better than all the other metrics. And I'll highlight it right here. It is the AFFO per share. That is what you're looking for above every other metric, the AFFO per share. VG's AFFO per share increased 3.7% year over year. That's basically like saying their net income on a per share basis, their EPS increased by 3.7%. So whether or not they did dilution, which most REITs do, you can tell whether or not that dilution was accretive by how much the AFFO went up on a per share basis. In this case, 3.7% is really good year over year. Vici collects 100% of rents. They have no problems collecting rent, and I think they'll do that all throughout this recession, all throughout this economic slowdown. My view has not changed after this earnings report than before it. I feel the exact same way about this company. They're moving along right on track. And as of right now, I plan on holding and collecting massive $450 dividends every single quarter. After Vici, we have the next company in my portfolio that reported earnings yesterday, which is Texas Roadhouse. For those of you that are are longtime followers, you'll know that I've talked about this company for a very long time. I've kept track of it because I consider it a sleeper stock, which means it's just not popular. It's not one that people talk about. It's kind of a boring company and that keeps it off of the radar. You'll never see this company talked about on Reddit and stock twits and all the different chatting forums and YouTube. It's not that exciting of a company. But when you actually go to a Texas Roadhouse, I would invite you to go to one that you're around and just keep track of the the amount of demand they have. Just keep track of how many people are actually there. Because from what I hear, almost every location in every state, people in my Discord tell me, this company keeps busy. That's one thing that they're really good at doing. They have an incredible amount of demand virtually all the time. And that demand was reflected in yet another earnings report. Texas Roadhouse beat both their revenue and their earnings expectation. I pulled up the earnings report here and I wanna go through and highlight a couple key things about this company's earnings. They keep track of same store sales, which is the amount of revenue they make per location compared to the previous year. So you can see if revenue per location is going up or it's going down. That is comparable restaurant sales. And that increased by 7.6% and 6.2% at domestic franchise restaurants. Overall, that is exactly what we like to see sales going up year over year at the very same locations. So not only do you make money when they open up their 25 new locations per year, but you're also making more money with each of their existing locations year over year. And a lot of companies have their same store sales going down year over year, they're actually shrinking. Texas Roadhouse is actually increasing theirs, So that's the first thing. Now they're nice enough to break this down for us. Their same store sales this year are 135,000 per week compared to 126,000 per week last year. And they have 16.9% were to-go sales and that increases year over year. Now here's the downside of owning a restaurant right now. They face both wage inflation and commodity inflation. Commodity inflation was 11.8%. So their margins were compressed a little bit because Texas Roadhouse, they don't like to increase the prices so much so to offset all of the inflation. They want to keep their company to have a good value proposition to edge out competition. So they're going to be highly competitive. They're going to be very careful with their price increases, but this has cost them in their margins. Now, another thing they highlight is their earnings per share growth. They say that diluted earnings per share also benefited from increased share repurchases. This is one of the companies that does share buybacks intelligently. They don't just buy back anytime. They try to do it more aggressively when the stock goes down. So whenever Texas Roadhouse goes through a big dip, if they have the free cash flow, they'll start directing that towards buybacks. And then finally, they say that five company restaurants, one international franchise restaurant were opened. So they opened up six different restaurants in the quarter. That's on track with their 25 a year. The company repurchased 1,600,000 shares of common stock. So they're doing 128 million in buybacks per quarter. The company ended the quarter with 180 million of cash on hand and debt of 75 million. They are not an indebted company. One thing I'll note about the debt and how Qualtrum looks at it is it does include capital leases, which is arguable of whether or not you want to include that in debt. But capital leases is basically their agreements, their contracts to pay their rent for their leases. So even though it's technically an obligation, it is included technically under debt, most companies don't include that as long-term debt. So on Qualtrum Insights, it will say they have $732 million in debt, and it's just under one bucket. But keep in mind that $650 million of that is capital leases. In terms of actual long-term or bad debt, They only have 70 million. So overall, a very good report from Texas Roadhouse. And I'll note that this company is in the red by 2% year to date. Not counting the dividends they pay. So, with the dividends, they're probably flat. So, this company's also outperformed year to date to a large extent. So, I like Texas Roadhouse. I still like owning this company. It has a free cash flow yield of 4.53%, which I think is a still for this company. The earnings per share growth, in my opinion, look highly resilient. Looks like very good earnings per share growth. Of course, if you look at the outlier, the COVID year, that's one outlier year, but I don't suspect we'll be running in to another situation quite like that in the near future. Hopefully not. But either way, this company, I believe, is a long-term compounder. I think it's undervalued. Right now, Texas Roadhouse trades at $87 a share, and I think the company's worth around $120. So I'm gonna continue holding. I have no plans of selling this company as of now. Now, the final company I wanna talk about in my portfolio that just reported earnings is in the financial category. It's called T. Rowe Price. They're known as a money manager, and they specialize in actively managed growth funds. They also have a very long history history of outperforming the market with their growth funds. So they've attracted a lot of capital, a lot of assets under management over the years. But as the market is moving away from growth and moving into value, T. Rowe Price has lost a lot of assets under management. There's been huge outflows every single week. And those assets under management is how this company earns money. So year to date, this company's just been crushed. It's down 38%. And it continues to go down. But we look at the full year timeline, it's down 41%. So this company's stock price continues to go down, reflecting their lower and lower assets under management, meaning their earnings are going to be lower and lower as well. Now, they just had their most recent earnings yesterday, which they missed their EPS and they missed their revenue on both the top end and the bottom end they missed, which is not what I like to see with my companies. But the stock moved up anyways. Typically, when a stock like T Rowe Price goes up a few percentage after missing their earnings, both the top line and bottom line, it means that the company's been priced to such a pessimistic extent that investors were expecting the worst-case scenario, and it wasn't quite as bad as investors were expecting. So now the stock is moving up a little bit as a sigh of relief. If we're talking about compounders, I'm looking for companies that have resilience in their earnings to some extent. One of the things I looked for on that compound or checklist is low cyclicality, low variance in earnings, and companies that can do well during any environment. And T. Rowe Price is certainly not that type of company. During 2007, you can see the EPS drop off a cliff. When investors pulled their money out of investments, this company loses a lot of its earnings. It doesn't make as much money. Now, It did fine. It got through that recession, and it continued to grow earnings with a lot of volatility. And this is what this company has in the last years. Twenty twenty one, the EPS spiked up almost double, and now you can see it crashing back down. Every quarter, the EPS is dropping another twenty five percent, and that's again because of something that's simply out of control of T Rowe Price. People are pulling their money out of growth funds. And they're pulling their money out of actively managed funds. So T. Rowe Price has both competition with passively managed ETFs and they have competition with value investing. So let me just say this right now. I'm not selling T. Rowe Price today, but I am looking for an attractive exit. I am following this company and the next time it gets a bid, the next time it gets bumped up in stock price because of good news, I'll take advantage of it and sell out of this company. Because no matter how cheap it is or what the valuation is, I don't like companies that are undependable companies that can drop 40, 50% in a given year because of concerns of a recession or because of concerns of a downturn in growth investing that to me is unreliable your gains can be taken away so easy with a company like this so the next time we get any type of good news we see this company get a bid I might just take it and exit out of this position. So that's all the changes to my portfolio and everything I've been doing over the past week. Now, if you want more content, if you want more explanation into companies like Church and Dwight, companies I'm selling out of, if you want further research, you can check out the Patreon. I have so much exclusive content there where I go through and answer people's questions and I go into great detail on different companies. Now, moving on, I wanna go through a couple different subjects here. One of them is market timing and one of them is FOMO. fear of missing out. Over the past month, my portfolio is up 10.12%. That's $32,800. So it's up quite a bit over the past 30 days. The S&P 500 is up 8% over the past 30 days. This brings in a lot of enthusiastic investors. When we see gains start to happen and the market start to surge upwards, a lot of people end up getting FOMO. They end up getting excited about the market And now there's question of whether or not we reached market bottom. Now, there's a lot of different opinions on timing the market. Some people say you should try to do it. Some people say, don't worry about timing the market. Stay invested all the time. Tom Lee from Fundstrat is a market timer. He's a market forecaster. And here's his opinion on whether or not the market has already made its bottom during this bear market. I think companies have great earnings. Considering we had a huge inventory correction, a 10% rise in the dollar and six months of negative GDP, and yet 70% of companies are beating, and actually positive earnings growth for the majority of companies. So I I would just say I give performance of businesses an A+. Tom Lee's correct here. A lot of people, including Michael Burry, said that we we're going to have an earnings apocalypse, an earnings contraction, and the market was only halfway down. This is when it was down 20%, and he was predicting it would fall another 20%. It'd be down 40% year to date. But the earnings contraction doesn't seem to be happening to the extent that some people predicted. A lot of these companies are actually beating earnings. They're projecting growth and earnings in the future. Some companies aren't, some companies have struggled this year as predicted, but overall it's not been as bad as predicted. You put yourself in a position where you have to be right and being right when timing the market is incredibly difficult. Out of the companies that I'm invested in, the huge majority of them and the majority of my major positions all sailed through this earnings report season with no issues most of them beat and they beat by a large extent. Overall, I'm not seeing an earnings contraction in my portfolio. I'm not seeing companies cut their dividends. And there's a lot of people a month ago that was discouraging people to invest in the stock market. They were trying to encourage you and others to time the market, to miss out on a huge run up by trying to time the market. And now they're in a very difficult situation, hoping that the market will go down, so they can be proven correct. Now, the problem with encouraging this type of behavior to try to time the downtrend and uptrend of the market is not only is it unpredictable, difficult to do, most people have no clue what they're doing when they try to time the market, but it also negatively affects people's finances. This does have a market negative effect if you try to do this. Here's one post on Reddit just recently. Who else is having legitimate FOMO this week? I was listening to the experts on most of Fintwit and paid services, and plenty of them were saying we were waiting for one more drop before potentially buying, which never came. So this user was listening to Fintwit, which is financial Twitter, and many of the so-called gurus on Twitter. They're the ones that always accurately time the market. They will tell you afterwards, of course, never beforehand, and they will say that they got it right and And they can't show their portfolio because of different reasons. They always make excuses of why they can't show their portfolio. But they will tell you after the fact that they timed and played the market perfectly. And what do they accept in payment for their retroactive advice on timing the market perfectly? Paid services, of course. They want you to pay them to tell you how to time the market, to not show you what they're doing. And then after the fact, they always claim that they did it successfully without any transparency. That is almost always how this works. Avoid these people. People that tell you to time in and out of the market, they tell you of their great performance without showing you it, these people are not honest and they do affect other people's lives. They do affect other people's finances negatively. They profit off of it. They profit off of anyone gullible enough to listen to them. Now, this caesar goes on saying, since then, I've been buying today and yesterday, but deeply regret not going more all in lately. I've been heavy in cash, 60% of my portfolio. And since this rally has been constantly losing to the market, I'm down 21% year to date, which is lower than the S&P 500, and I think even lower than the QQQ now. And in this week alone, the NASDAQ has practically caught up to me and I'm very close to not beating any index. Who else is feeling like this? Seeing stocks like Nvidia go up as much and others be up 30, 40% in a week while I'm waiting for the dip is beyond frustrating. Just wanted to vent, but I've rarely had this feeling of anxiety before in the market. Not only is this just a dumb strategy, and let me frame it that way. Trying to do this is a dumb strategy. Howard Marks doesn't do this. Peter Lynch didn't do this. Charlie Munger doesn't do this. Warren Buffett doesn't do this. Terry Smith doesn't do this. All these great investors don't try to do this because it's a dumb strategy. They're all intelligent people that are incredibly good investors. None of them try to do this because they know it doesn't work. But beyond it being a dumb strategy, it's also just so stressful. Why would you want to put yourself under this much anxiety and stress where you have to act like some expert diving in and buying a dip at the pure bottom of the peak fare, that is incredibly difficult to pull off, incredibly stressful. And if the market roars up three or 4% one day and you're not invested, it puts you in an extremely compromising position full of anxiety and stress where you're now waiting for it to go back down. There's no reason to follow a dumb strategy that also is an incredibly stressful strategy. Terry Smith's expert strategy, his great world-renowned strategy in investing and how he has such great performance is three steps. One of them, buy good companies. Step two, don't overpay. And then step three, do nothing. That's it. That's the investment thesis. You buy really good companies that have good qualities like these compounders I'm looking at. You try not to overpay for them. And then the most important step, you do nothing. That's all you do. That's a stress-free way of investing. And it tends to perform really well. There's actually history behind it proving that it performs well, unlike market timing. So that's what I plan on doing with my portfolio. I plan on buying good companies that I outline in this checklist. I'm going to try not to overpay for them. And then I'm going to try to do nothing during market turbulence. So that's all the news for now. All the updates for right now. But I'll have more episodes out in the future. So make sure you subscribe to the channel. You have the bell notification on. Also keep in mind the Joseph Carlson show is available on every podcast platform. And having said that, if you haven't tried out the Patreon... We have thousands of active members. You get access to Qualtrum, which is this suite of software that lays out all the financials of a company, and you get access to hours and hours of exclusive in-depth content about different companies, analysis, all different things that I'm looking at. So go ahead and try that out. It's completely risk-free. Give it a try, and I'll see you there.